This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks, everyone, for taking the time to join us on today. And as always, a very special welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time. Today's episode is going to be, I guess you could think of it as a segue. It's a little bit of a break before we get into some more series and some more interviews with other people. Uh, But as those of you who keep up with me on social media, You'll see from time to time that I address, I mean, I already talk about things that are not always the things that somebody would think are directly related to user experience, but you can always trace it back because as I always say, UX is not just about the work. When people try to make UX just about the work, That is, it may suffice for a while, but you're going to end up, everybody ends up running into the very things that I try to address. And as I found out earlier in my career, it's the awareness of those things and the ability to navigate those things that actually helps to prolong and solidify your career oriented destination, what you're trying to accomplish over the course of your career. And one of the things that I talk about a lot in social media that some people might wonder why uh, I'm talking about it, because it seems like it doesn't relate to user experience is the topic of character assassination. And we're going to be focusing on that today. Today's episode is really it's responding to the critics. I'm taking time today to talk about things that some of the critics of the things that we do, what they have to say, and I'm going to completely disprove and rip them apart. It's a lot of other people don't do it because you have a lot of people that don't really subscribe to critical thinking, even though critical thinking is at the core of how you extras operate. I frequently talk about how that you can't really be a coward and engage in user experience. It takes courage to do what we do if you're going to do it well. It takes thick skin to do what we do. And as I said, is that about the work? Uh, It's not. But is it related to the work? Yes. So it's not about the work, but it's about the work. And, And when people can't take a stand for something, when people are willing to compromise out of fear, are there times to compromise? Yes. If you compromise because you're fearful, that's not really compromise. That's that's called kowtowing. So we want to make sure that we call it what it really is. And I see that a lot. People are not willing to take a stand. People are afraid of making a, a very forthright and solid statement. you got people who accuse folks who do things like that of being judgy. You know, never mind the fact that they're being judgy, as they call it, when they accuse you of being judgy. 
what they're really trying to do is dismantle a standard in such cases. And in so doing, they render you weak. They, they render you vulnerable. They, when, when you fall for that kind of gaslighting and mumbo jumbo logic, it puts a person in a position where you're not going to be able to operate in excellence, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter how things look, um, you're going to be powerless. You're sacrificing your authority. And yes, UX is a position that requires authority-based operations. And when we don't have the ethics, when we don't have the authority, when we don't embrace the truth of a thing, when we don't, I mean, we talk about data-driven design decisions, uh, but isn't data about truth when it's done right? Because some people generate data, but the data is flawed because the the designs that went into the research were flawed. So garbage in, garbage out. So just interesting things. But we're going to talk about this type of thing today because people come at me a lot. I state all the time. I give back to the discipline because I care. I give back to the discipline because it has been good to me. I give to the discipline because I see a lot of people who are trying to advance themselves within the discipline and I care about their status. And so for that reason, I will share information that will help them. I help people and I reach out and engage in people in ways that folks do not know because I don't talk about everything that I do with regard to the discipline. But let's just say I do a lot. And with the exception of my salary, I benefit nothing from it. So I give of myself. When we have the UX chit chat hours, we have to pay. I, we being me, the English we on that one. I pay for that out of my pocket. I pay for, uh, I have given away over the years. Might as well talk about a few of these things since we're responding to the critics. Now getting to the specific uh, uh, critical um, or criticisms I should say that people levy all blind, but we'll, we'll be fair and we'll tell you exactly what they said and we will respond to them. I have given away free annual memberships to, to IDF, to the Interaction Design Foundation. I have given away books left and right. I, have, I, I teach UX workshops in Metro Detroit and have actually gifted sessions to people to be able to attend that to further their own career. I mentor people. I meet with people more than you think, more than you realize. Some people count their mentoring time. I don't, but I don't care about that. I'm not trying to put notches in my belt. I'm just trying to today, trying to make statements because the critics need to be responded to. They're blind. They have agendas. They have no idea what they're talking about, but they don't care that they don't know what they're talking about because the name of the game is to just try to make somebody look bad for whatever their reasons might be. And uh, we just had the the situation recently where there was a young man that was uh, killed by policemen in, in Virginia. For those outside the country, you may or may not have heard about this, and people in the country may not have known about it, but five policemen beat a kid to death. Actually, I think it was six. Uh, six policemen beat a kid to death. Uh, they were actually black policemen, ironically. They beat a black kid to death. And of course, this has happened over and over again. And But the thing that, that strikes me about it 
is and, and the reason why I bring it up from a parallel perspective is that when someone engages in character assassination, when someone casts aspersions, when somebody says something and the goal is to make someone look bad, to make someone out to be less than what they really are, when someone misrepresents another person's character, you're doing the same exact thing. That person's life is over, but if these character assassins have their way, the person that they're accusing's life is going to be over too. The thing is, you'll be living, but you're going to have a hard time getting a job. People are going to to subject you to maltreatment because they believe the lies. It's really sad. And and when we talk about how critical it is to to represent the discipline properly, it's interesting that people will take aim at folks. I'm not the only person who goes through this. That people will aim at folks who who set themselves for the good of the discipline of user experience and then paint these pictures and manufacture stories for the express purpose of trying to make a person look like what they're doing is it's not what it appears to be or they're playing some type of a game or things of that nature. It's nothing but character assassination. It's libel. It's slander. My goodness, it, it, it's terrible. It's defamation of character. Nobody who has a heart like that can really thrive in the discipline. You're talking about a discipline that's looking out for, for the well-being of users and advocating for users and customers. You're talking about somebody who's learning about the needs of the business. You're learning about all these things that are outside of self trying to find the sweet spot between them and prescribe solutions that will gain a competitive advantage and profit for the business while at the same time meeting the needs of and delighting users. It is a selfless discipline. So there is no way that a person can truly consistently and over long periods of time truly excel at trying to achieve things from a selfless perspective and then turn around and engage in selfish behavior by trying to misrepresent someone else. UX demands ethics. It demands accuracy. It demands doing what is right in every given situation for the good of the whole. We take a back seat as individuals. It is not about us. And the more selfless an individual is, the better they will be able to operate. So that said, let's get into three examples. I want to talk about three stories. We talked about nightmares recently. This almost piggybacks on that a bit. But I want to talk about three different examples of situations where someone did something where they engaged in criticisms of, of what I'm doing, what I'm saying, things of that nature. But we want to provide you, for those who don't, engage in critical thinking. We're going to provide you a uh, an out today by helping people to engage in the critical thinking that they won't do on their own. Um, but I will preface my entry into the first story by saying, I know who I am and will never be thrown aback, so to speak, 
by people who do these things. I recognize what they do. I know who I am. So it's not going to rattle my cage. But it's just really sad. You you, you don't sit there and say that it doesn't, you, you don't find find it that it's perturbing or anything of that nature. It It is. But you eventually, you dust yourself off, you get up, and you keep going forward. Because it's about the work that we do. It's about representing ourselves uh, uh, in a in an ethical and in a pure-hearted and in a genuine manner, and continuing to press forward no matter what people say or do. And and people will always be they're always haters. And, and I, as I say, I believe I said this on another episode. Uh, if it wasn't for your enemies, um, we wouldn't have the footstools we need to go higher. We actually achieve higher higher heights because of things maltreating maltreating things that people do to us, but you still have to call them out. You still have to reconcile. You still have to understand the things that people do to you and make sure to put everything in proper perspective. And that is what allows me and those like me who suffer the types of things I'm about to mention to go forward. And again, somebody may already be saying, Darren, this does not sound like something related to UX. And to those people, I say, keep living because I go through these things all the time and, and have to maintain a sense of realism as well as uh, gaining a sense of understanding and really having the wisdom to move forward so that you can maintain proper levels of fortitude and realism and going forward. And I have to say this too, if somebody says something and it's true, I'm very thankful for it because maybe somebody presents a perspective that I need to hear. I love constructive criticism, but most critics like the people I'm about to mention, this is not constructive criticism. It doesn't build. It's destructive criticism. It tears down and constructive criticism acknowledges the truth of a thing or a person before it addresses it. Destructive criticism just wants to criticize does not have a proper perception of what's being addressed, does not have any consideration for the well-being of the person that's being criticized. Isn't it funny how people always talk about constructive criticism, but nobody ever mentions destructive criticism? I'm glad that I know the difference between the two, and I'm hoping that I help somebody by mentioning this today. Story number one, there was a person that I used to work with and they saw the types of things because I'm just telling the truth on out on social media when I'm posting different things. I'll talk about the things a lot of other people are afraid to talk about. People refuse to talk about it. Uh, I've been shushed before at events because people don't want what I'm talking about to be brought up. Would you rather I bring it up and you think about it when you're not under the gun or would you rather come face to face with that thing? And, and be blindsided by it, because I guarantee you when that happens, you're not going to be ready and it will cause you a great degree of of uh, of harm and pain. And you're clueless. In those settings, and so you can't respond properly. So we try to equip you. So that's the reason we do it. But at any rate, I posted something and the person didn't like something that I said. And what else is new? The person didn't like what I said. There was nothing wrong with what I said. They were just oblivious to it. And and they took umbrage to what was said. But they thought 
that they knew me well enough to reach out to me. And I was grateful for that. And the person reached out and they expressed that first they try to butter you up. So they give this insincere uh, type of, of agreement or praise, if you will. And you can always hear it in their tone. I've been reading and uh, um, looking at the written word and and perceiving it and digesting it and discerning it for upwards of almost 40 years. I used to be a secretary. People don't know that. I used to be a legal secretary. I used to be a legal word processor. Uh, I used to do, I, I know what it is to look at what's in writing and how you pick up on it and can understand what's going on with someone. And the person made the statement, you knew what was coming behind the, the compliments, the flattery. And um, they, so they gave the flattery and then they said, but you know, that thing you said, I don't, I don't agree with that. And, and as I often say, there's disagreement, there's disavowal. And if a person claims to disagree, but they don't understand what they're disagreeing with, they're not really disagreeing it. They're disavowing it. And they are exalting themselves over whatever concept is being discussed. You have to understand it first. And then if you and if you say that you don't agree, you should be able to cite why you don't. Provide someone the courtesy of the reasoning, and maybe you will enlighten them. But you don't just get to say you don't like something, so you say you don't agree, and then you take your ball and go home. That's another sign that something else is afoot when people behave like that. But at any rate, the person said that they didn't agree. And then they, they uh, didn't wait for my feedback because they didn't want any feedback because it was a, it was an arrogant exchange. They didn't, they didn't want to see how I was going to respond to what was said. They just want to say it, drop the microphone and go on their way. Cause after all, they're right. Uh, people don't realize that that's what that type of an, uh, a presentation is associated with. You're, if, if you're confident, you don't, really, you're not threatened by someone's response. Matter of fact, you want to hear the response. There is a way to disagree agreeably. And a lot of the people who claim they disagree, they're not disagreeing agreeably. They're trying to dictate the situation. But at any rate, that's an EQ moment for somebody. At any rate, the person follows that up by saying, do you know what a gatekeeper is? And that's where this particular story is grounded. The person asked me if I knew what a gatekeeper was, and, and, and it was really sad. Uh, this person who was a, de- a developer for years had no UX experience, still didn't have any UX experience when they made the statement. No, no UX experience whatsoever. And, and the person said that, uh, you know, they asked me if I knew what a gatekeeper was. Said, yeah, I know what a gatekeeper is. And but what they proceeded to say it was interesting that what they said to me, this was actually my, one of my first engagements with someone where they were brought up gatekeeping and was accusing me of gatekeeping. And, and, and I proudly say I am a gatekeeper, but not as you suppose. People don't know what gatekeepers really are. And it turned out that that person, like a lot of other people, when they cite someone as being a gatekeeper, when they accuse someone of gatekeeping, They're talking about it from a perspective that's not even accurate. Folks, by definition, a gatekeeper, according to Merriam-Webster, is someone standing at an entry point to prevent unwanted 
traffic. That's one of the definitions. It's not even the main definition. When you look it up in Merriam-Webster, that's definition number two. Uh, there are a lot of, of, of definitions out there. Matter of fact, I'm sorry, that's the wrong one. That's a definition that came from another place. The one that's in Merriam-Webster says a person who controls access. Okay, make sure I get that right. A person who controls access. Then another definition says it's someone standing at an entry point to prevent unwanted access or entry. Um, so a person who controls access is indeed a gatekeeper person standing at an entry point to prevent unwanted access, such as a secretary in an office that's trying to keep people from getting to a person in an executive office. You have to get past the secretary in order to get to that leader. Uh, so that person is performing a gatekeeping function. Uh, now, one of the things that some people might already recognize is that all gatekeeping isn't bad. As a matter of fact, the common definition, the way that that person was using the term gatekeeping was actually in accordance with two critical things. One, it was in accordance with a definition that comes out of the gaming world. Number one. So it has more of a more of an urban or more of a slang type of a definition. And that definition is not applicable in the business world. It's not the same definition. But people started bringing that in masses into the UX world. And ironically, this is about the same time that a lot of developers were starting to come into the UX world. That's when you started seeing these UX developer positions. And no, there's no such thing as a UX developer. Even though people, you'll see jobs listed that way. That, that doesn't mean that it exists. It means that somebody doesn't understand UX. They can call you a UX janitor. Does that mean that there's such thing as a UX janitor? You could be a UX fry cook. Uh, the, people have been slapping UX on the front of all types of titles over the last few years in particular. And so that doesn't mean that what they declared exists. It just means that that's what they did. So there is no such thing as a UX developer. And folks need to understand that. They need to come to grip with that. But we're not talking about that today. That person did not have any knowledge of the history of UX, didn't have any real understanding of what UX was, didn't have any dedication to the discipline, was not operating in the defense or the well-being of the discipline. They just didn't like the fact that I was taking a stand and doing real gatekeeping, which is nothing but addressing quality assurance. That's what a gatekeeper does. And, and that's why so many disciplines and so many entities in the world have gatekeeping. They don't call it gatekeeping, but it's gatekeeping. You have to pass a bar to become a a lawyer, that's an act of gatekeeping. You have to become a CPA in order to operate in certain ways in the accounting world. You have to get a license to become, in some states, you can't even do plumbing if you don't have a license. So to make sure that qualified people are doing the work and to protect the integrity of that arena, that field, they require licensing in some states, not all, but they require it. Gatekeeping is good sometimes. And when we sit up and we talk about what's needed to thrive as a UX professional, when we try to tell people what they need to learn to excel as a UX professional, isn't it funny that people get upset about at people like me when we get up and talk about what somebody needs to do in order to thrive as a UX professional, but they don't get angry at the boot camps that are lying to them? that talk to them about what they need to do and that they're going to, they can learn everything they need to know in six months. That's, that's impossible. 
I've been doing UX for almost three decades and I'm still learning. You, you don't learn everything in some short period of time. I've seen boot camps that last for nine days. How, how ridiculous is that? But they get angry at us for telling people about quality, which lets you know when people complain about gatekeeping, it's because they want anarchy. Can you imagine where we'd be if there was anarchy in the medical world? Can you imagine where we'd be if there was anarchy in the judicial system where anybody could become a judge, where anybody could become a police officer? And no jokes there, please. <laughs> but you get my drift. We can't have anarchy in anything, especially in a field that's roughly 20 to 25 years old, that's still establishing itself that a lot of people still don't understand. It is critical that people understand what UX really is and proceed in their personal UX maturity and evolution in a way that is in alignment with quality. Because when you do that, you're ensuring your own future and you are properly representing the discipline. So you're helping to vault the discipline forward. The people who don't do that and are complaining about quality is because they don't want to learn. They don't want to, they don't want to align themselves with quality. They don't want to have to learn something and actually become qualified. You know, well, who in the world wants that? So when people complain about gatekeeping, that's really what they're complaining about. And a couple of things of note as before I move on to topic two is that if you go to chat GPT, everybody seems to be talking about a lot of people. I'm not going to say that everybody, everybody doesn't even care about chat GPT. I generally don't care about chat GPT. I don't care about AI. I'm not threatened by it or anything of that sort. People who don't have skill are threatened by it, uh, but, but people who, um, people who have skill are not threatened by, by artificial intelligence because they know it's just programmed by somebody and, and it's limited to the intelligence of the programmers. So that's all we'll say about that. I actually went to chat GPT and I asked chat GPT, what is a gatekeeper or what is gatekeeping? And the response that I got, ironically, was in direct correlation with these slang, with these urban definitions, with these crowdsourced mindsets that failed to mention things about gatekeeping that we need to embrace. And to take matters further, I turned around after that and I said, what's good about gatekeeping or when is gatekeeping good? And it proceeded to tell you the things that I just said. Then it slowly transitioned and started reiterating the same stuff it said and with the initial definition. So that lets you know that even in chat GPT, some of the responses that are coming forth, that's not artificial intelligence. That is legitimate bias. And so biased people have been programming and feeding the database, because ChatGBT is actually rendering answers out of a database. So the people who filled the database also infected the database with their biases. So there you go. How about that? Even on Reddit, I, I did a search on when is gatekeeping good? And a response came up. The only response that came up when I searched via DuckDuckGo was one that was chock full of bias. And people were giving these these really sarcastic answers. Oh, gatekeeping is good when you want to keep the Nazis out and stuff like that. That's not helping anybody. It's not legit. It's not honest. Gatekeeping is actually good. So this person was criticizing me and accusing me of being a gatekeeper. But truth of the matter is that person hadn't accomplished anything then and they haven't accomplished anything 
to this day because they want to sit and operate in a delusional mindset with regard to UX and with regard to gatekeeping. Anybody under the sound of my voice, if you want to thrive, gotta re- gotta let this stuff go. We little, little side note: we were talking on LinkedIn over the last few days, and you'll hear people all the time. It, it frequently comes up, and people say, "If if Henry Ford wanted, uh, uh, if he asked people um, uh, what they wanted, they would say faster horses," and they use that to talk about how re- research is not always what it appears to be, and things of that nature. Uh, but you know, the point well taken in general, but that's a fable. Henry Ford never said that. He never said anything even closely resembling that. Somebody made that up. And and so and, and I was really shocked to see people saying, well, if we do this, it'll help people understand we don't need lies to do anything. Again, this is a discipline that actually revolves around ethics. If you don't believe me, let ethics go by the wayside and watch and see how long it takes to gain the support of your stakeholders and internal clients and leadership and watch how it blows up when they find out you don't have any ethics. You don't have any scruples. Because we have to earn the trust of our stakeholders, of our clients and of leadership. And that simply isn't going to happen if you have appetite for lies. Don't use lies to validate uh, the work that you're doing. It simply isn't going to work. That house is going to cave in. So keep that in mind. So a little bit about the gatekeeping situation. Point number two, and this one, I need to preface this one a little bit because the person that did this meant no harm. Uh, I'm not big on intentions, by the way, because whether you meant harm to do harm or not, it doesn't change what actually happened. But I do have to, to reflect on the fact I know that this person wasn't trying to be mean. They weren't trying to be vindictive. But what they did was still wrong. And I, I have to bring this, this example up. A person, we were in a conversation once. And again, person meant absolutely no harm. Uh, but I know what happened because of the statement and the types of things that happened because of a statement like what I'm about to mention. The person said, yeah, if you go out there and you follow Darren on social media, you'll see that he's out there pontificating. And my jaw dropped. I was completely taken aback by the statement. I was a little crushed because I felt that the person respected me. I thought they respected me, but you don't. And just because somebody accuses you of pontificating doesn't mean they don't respect you. Um, you know, but that, that's as far as I'll go with that. But I mean, look at it for a moment. Again, critical thinking time. What is pontificating? It, it basically means by definition, Pontificating means to speak or express opinions in a pompous or dogmatic way. Um, that's extremely sad. And, and one of the reasons why that there are several reasons why this is really sad. One is I don't say anything from a pompous perspective. Nothing I say is dogmatic. When I present something, I also present substantiation for the things that I say. I don't say the things that I say from being pompous. I say it because I know it and I can share it. I've been doing it for a long time. I hate to say this, but statements like that do find a root in racism because folks of African-American descent are rarely allowed, very rarely allowed to demonstrate ourselves 
as if we are knowledgeable or authoritative on anything. We are referred to as the uppity Negro. Anytime we know what we're talking about and present ourselves as such. So when someone says that a black person is pontificating, it does not matter what the subject is. Anytime somebody says that a black person is pontificating, that is a racist statement in and of itself. You know, nobody bothered to see whether or not what I said was true. And there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that know that the things that I'm saying are true. And there are people who listen to this podcast that questioned it and then went back and later found out that the things that I'm saying are true and can find evidence for the things that I'm saying to prove that they are true. So that sort of takes away the pompous and dogmatic. And for those who don't understand what dogmatic is, by definition, that means that a person is expressing opinions very strongly or positively as if they were facts. I have not said anything ever, nor will I ever say anything on this show that was not a fact. I said things that I've seen in my observation. I said things that have come from data that I've gathered over the years. I've shared things from my experiences. I've shared things that I've seen proven out through application. There is no dogma associated with the things that I'm saying on this podcast, but that's what happens when people get frustrated. And here's the other part of that sort of in another way sort of helps to speak to the racist aspect of this is that I'm working on a project called if I was white, I don't know if I've ever said that on the show, but it's funny how I say something and I'm referred to as pontificating being dogmatic or pompous. When if someone who is of another race says the same exact things, um, those people are hailed as as having a brilliant mind. Isn't that a bit odd or awkward? There was an old FedEx commercial where a guy said something, he had a great idea, and the boss came behind him and said the same exact thing, but he moved his hand a particular way. And then he said, hey, but that's the same thing that I said. And they say, yeah, but you didn't move your hand like this. It, it's it's like that. It's amazing that how people will embrace something because somebody's assumed to be smart or because of the whole respective persons type of a thing or because of biases and things of that nature. And you reject or call into question or are delayed in your acceptance of a thing because somebody is a minority. Whether it's a black male, women get treated like that. A lot. I talk to a lot of female UXers uh, about the same type thing, and they talk about how they experience it. And I can't, 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 um, can't blame them. It, it, it does happen. I've seen it. It's really, really sad. So these are the types of things. It, it's not right, folks. I, I said, yep, yeah, yep. I'm going when I talk about this topic. I'm going to share that. I am not pontificating. I am talking about things I know to be true. And if you go out and apply it, you'll find. That it's true, uh, but don't, yeah, the pontificating thing and and something else I got to say here, and I'll say this before I get to the last really wild story, the wildest of the three stories is that I'm not one of those. I mean, a lot of smart people, they think back on when we were kids and when we were kids, I mean, these people are right indirectly admitting that, that I'm smart because or there's a smartness at work. Let's leave it like that because I don't want to make a statement that sounds a particular way, you know what I'm getting at. Um, when somebody would mess with the smart person when we were kids, 
That smart person never came back at you. Well, that was a long time ago. And when people get up, I used to be quiet when people would be uh, accusatory or say derogatory things just to be mean or nasty or dismissive because they're not saying it because it's true because it's not true. They have an ulterior motive. Uh, And it used to be there was a time and there was an age at which those things would happen and we would just let it go. Not anymore. If somebody calls me out, I'm not going to sit and embarrass them. I'm not identifying any of these people by name. You'll never get that from me. There's a time to call somebody out by name. This is not one of them. I'm more of a, it's about the what and not the who kind of an individual. Uh, But if somebody has the gall to do what they do in public, in front of other people, or even to come at me, because the first example was done in private. The other two examples I'm sharing today were not done in private. If somebody is willing to do that, then that means they're willing to deal with somebody calling them out for their foolishness because I'm going to do it. All I have to do is tell the truth. <laughs> and that's what I'm doing. So uh, pontificating, no. Gatekeeper, yes, but not as you suppose. It's the kind of gatekeeping that we need that helps ensure quality in our ranks. Uh, pont- but t- pontificating, no, no, get out of here with that. We're not pontificating. If, if people like me, as they call it, stop pontificating, the discipline is doomed. I'm thankful for the Debbie Levitts. I'm thankful for the Dr. Nick Fines. I'm thankful for the Tony Moras. I'm thankful for the uh, uh, for the Joel Bars. I'm thankful for the D. Sattlers. I'm thankful for all of these people today who are willing to stand up. Karen Lynn, uh, you hear these people, the Justin Ranton, people who are willing to stand up and tell people what for. And to let somebody know exactly what's going on in the discipline and not be in the business of tickling ears, afraid to stand up because you can't be a coward and really represent this discipline. It's not a discipline for cowards. And unfortunately, our ranks, there's a lot of cowards in our ranks today, which leads me to the last example, uh, which (laughs) I don't know how long this is going to take, but. At any rate, I guess I'm just I'm thinking about the time right now because I don't want to be too long with this, but we need to make it a point of, of, of addressing this. Uh, there was a, a discussion taking place on LinkedIn, and there was a person who claimed to be a UX and a web designer. Uh, he is a web designer. He's not a UX person, never has been a UX person. And, and somebody mentioned something that I said, and this person has long taken umbrage to practically everything that I do. And so they took it upon themselves to engage in highly derogatory and, def- and defamatory um, presentation concerning me on the web. By the way, I have addressed LinkedIn about this. LinkedIn would do absolutely nothing. Shame on them. Uh, they just kept closing the ticket and shooting it down. Just ridiculous stuff. And, but this person he said that I am a tell you exactly what he said. And I'm going to read them bullet line by bullet line here of what this person said. He said that Darren is a grifting charlatan. He said Darren wants to be a thought leader. He said Darren has a vague and puffed up resume. Darren has no real work to back up his alleged UX bona fides. I, I have no idea what that is. 
Uh, he said, he said uh, Darren's work is conveniently password protected, talking about my portfolio. He said that my podcasts and interviews are a repackaged UX, uh, repackaging of UX common knowledge. He said that the podcast is mixed with my ego and hubris. That's more pontification stuff that's going on there. And hubris is talking about arrogance. So he's accusing me of being arrogant. And sadly, uh, people who have inferiority complexes always see confidence as arrogance. They never see it any other way, but I'm getting ahead of myself. But let's look at these accusations one at a time. He accused me of being a grifting charlatan. I'm like, wow. So I, I am going around selling snake oil. According to him, that's what that's that's what the grifter. Those are the people who used to go around and sell things. And uh, a charlatan, by definition, is according to the American Heritage, Heritage Dictionary, is a person who makes elaborate, fraudulent, and often valuable claims to skill or knowledge, a quack or a fraud. One who pretends to have knowledge, skill, and importance, which he does not possess, a pretender, a quack. Uh, a mountebank, never heard that one before, or empiric. And uh, synonyms are imposter, cheat, pretender. Uh, that's interesting uh, that he would say that, especially considering his own work history, uh, which uh, is pretty much, other than web design, is pretty much non-existent, at least last I saw. So he refers to me as a grifting charlatan. He has no idea of the work that I've done. He has no idea. And, and this person, last I saw, had done work. Well, it's just really sad. It, 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 he accuses me of that, but one of the things, and I'll say it now, everything he accused me of, it actually is talking about him. Uh, he said that I want to be a thought leader. I have no desire to be a thought leader, but, and that's not why I do what I do. I do what I do to share. I do what I do to help people out. And I help people and I go on about my business. I don't help people and then go and toot my own horn somewhere. I don't do any of those things. I'm not trying to be recognized by anybody. I don't even care. Um, but he apparently does because he writes things. He does things, but he doesn't have any experience. <laughs> That's it. And he has been in contact with or supported nobody. But yet he says these things about me. Anyway, he says, my resume is vague and puffed up. He's never seen my resume ever. Why would he see my resume? Seeing my LinkedIn profile is not the same as seeing my resume. If you see my LinkedIn profile, you have not seen my resume. You see my work history. And I'm being, I'm, I'm being picky here from that perspective. So even, let's just look at it from his perspective. He says that it's vague and puffed up. It's an exact depiction. Exact. Matter of fact, it's scaled back. So, but he says it's vague and puffed up when it's actually scaled down. So it's just ridiculous. He said there's no real work to back up my alleged UX bona fides. I don't know what UX bona fides are, uh, but uh, I've worked all the way up to Fortune 50. I have worked on the equivalent of mil tens of millions of dollars of projects. I've worked, done work for Ford Motor Company, General Motors. I've done work for Duracell, B2B business with Duracell. I, I've done work for the uh, company by the name of CompuWare. Some people, and I'm sorry, not CompuWare, but Covacent was 
they had bought another company and they were trying to combine three applications. And I did the design that helped them to combine three applications into one. I'm not going to go down a list because I don't have to, I don't have to spell this out. I mentioned one job and I did more than the accuser did. When you think about the things that I did. So, I mean, from writer to Omnicell to, I mean, it goes on and on a lot of shorter stints in later days. That's something to discuss for another time. But, eh, you know, why don't I throw another couple in here just for good measure, just to illustrate my point and show how ridiculous his statement is. I worked on the English as a second language platform for National Geographic Learning. This is a multi-million dollar project, somewhere between one and two mil on this particular project was tied to it. That's the, the dollars attached to this. And I, I started working for, it was part of Cengage at the time. I believe it still is. And I go to do this work. I walk through the door and they give me this project. As soon as I came in, first thing I did, I've told the story before, but now I told you who it was I did it for. And I conducted a, uh, a, a heuristic analysis, 40 some odd pages worth of findings. The leadership had not bought into UX yet. They attended that meeting. I didn't know they were at that meeting. They said, this is what UX can do for us. They were so shocked and so happy and so astonished about the, the findings and the recommendations that they just, they, they ended up uh, rolling out the red carpet for additional UXers after that. It helped them to buy in to UX, but look at things like that. The project I mentioned, because I'm mentioning now who it was before I was doing UX full time, but was doing it part time during the day. I helped OnStar open their first offshore call center when they had no idea how they were going to uh, try to deal with training all of these people uh, when uh, the, the Philippines would not allow them to ship an OnStar equipped vehicle down there for training. And I designed an entire course with hands on uh, things in Macromedia Flash. Oh, there's a blast from the past. So that's how people learn how to use OnStar in the Philippines. And then I found out just a few years ago that they were using it for like 12 years to train people how to use OnStar. This person said that I had no real work. I've got nothing but real work. And it's everywhere. Why would somebody say something like this that's so ridiculous? It, it, it's blatantly obvious that the person is bitter. It's blatantly obvious that the person is is hateful. And 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 I mean, really, no real work, really. Are you kidding me? And then he says, my work is conveniently password protected. I have a password on my portfolio to keep content from being stolen. And I did have an interview once where somebody behaved in a way, and they mentioned something that implied that they had seen my work before. Somebody, when I did not have a password on my portfolio, somebody stole my work and used it apparently to apply for the same job. That's when I started putting a portfolio uh, or a password on my portfolio. And so, but does he know that? Oh no, no, he doesn't know that. Conveniently password protected. No, it's so now he can't steal it. That's what he's complaining about. He says that the podcasts and interviews are the repackaged UX common knowledge. The stuff that comes out on this podcast, you don't hear this on other podcasts. I know that for a fact. And, and it's really sad that 
it, it, when, when somebody has a bias where they want to hear something a particular way, it doesn't matter what you say. They're going to hear what they want to hear. And, and then that last little accusation, this is it's mixed with my ego and hubris. There's no arrogance in this arrogance. I, I love I think Debbie Levitt and I share the same definition of arrogance as unjustifiable confidence. Uh, am I confident? Yeah. Am I passionate? You better believe I am. And, and I, and I offer no apologies for any of those things, but arrogance, no, too considerate, too nice, too EQ friendly. So there's no, there is no arrogance here and there's no ego here either. I know who I am. That doesn't mean you have ego because you know who you are. Matter of fact, in these days, because you got people like this who are always trying to make you out to be somebody that you're not, you need to know who you are so you can stand against this stuff because gaslighting is running amok. Uh, and, and somebody would say, well, it's not just UX, Darren. It might not be. I'm concerned about UX circles. It's running amok in UX circles today where somebody's always trying to paint a picture of somebody of being something other than what they really are. It's critical. As we begin to wrap up here. It's critical that we know where we are, who we are, what trajectory we're on. Make it a point to understand. This is a big EQ thing. Make it a point to understand where your shortcomings are. I, I surround myself with people to help me optimize my introspection. So I'm not looking for a lot of people to come and volunteer information, especially if they don't really know who I am. That's not going to help me. I'm far more introspective than most. I spend a ton of time looking at Darren Hood. My wife is good at giving me information that I need to know. Other people. Now, those are my closest friends, the one who are willing to tell me what I need to hear in a given setting. So there is no blind spot, as people suppose, because we labor all the time to find them. We're always trying to turn and focus and do things to bring those things to light. So it's not as people try to make it out to be. Critics abound today. But critics, being a critic is easy. The question is, what kind of a critic are you? Those of you that are listening today, what kind of a critic are you? Are you a constructive critic or a destructive critic? And where does that tie back to user experience? You have to strive to be a constructive critic. That when you give criticisms, they don't have your interest in mind. They have the betterment of the individual in mind. You don't want to be a destructive critic because if you do, you're just ripping people apart and you're tearing them down, but you're not building people up. Construction builds, destruction destroys. So it's not that we shouldn't be critics. We should be. I want critics. Judge me. Just do it accurately. Do it without doing it in a way that where you stand something to gain. Do it without having some type of uh, uh, self-interest in mind. And, and when we can surround ourselves, not just me, but when we can surround ourselves with people like that, we're going to be better off for it. And the better we are at criticizing ourselves, the better we're going to be at criticizing others. And, and again, judge me, criticize me, give me what I need, but don't play games because you're going to get, because of the subscription to critical thinking, I'm going to see you. And the next thing you know, I'll be doing uh, responding to the critics part two, three, and four, and talking about what you did. 
Uh, that's not a threat. It's a promise. And people need to understand these things. And people ask me about these things all the time. So that's part of the reason that we are sharing this today. So I hope and trust that light bulb came on for some people. Um, I do not apologize for gatekeeping, but I'm doing it the right way. I'm not a pontificator. And if somebody thinks I'm pontificating, there's absolutely no way they're possibly going to value what I do. And so that's a problem. And people who listen to them won't value what I do. And you'll doom them to probably opt in to uh, being subscribed to misinformation. I've seen people do that too. They, they criticize me and then they run off somewhere and they're, they're out somewhere touting some stuff that's chock full of misinformation. So, you know, you doom yourself to a delusional path in UX and, and nobody wants that. And then the last person, just sad that somebody would really campaign against someone with everything the person said is wrong. And I read, I read the exact screenshot of when the person did that. There's nothing changed in what this person said. I have the actual screenshot in front of me. This is ridiculous. Nobody should ever do anything like this, especially when none of it is true. And, and sadly, I encounter a lot of this in my travels, but we continue to press forward. We continue to operate the highest levels of integrity. We continue to look out for everybody's best interest. We continue to press for folks being their absolute best in the discipline. I am committed to that which I'm doing, and I hope you understand that. If not, we'll part ways, but no sweat off my brow because I continue to go forward no matter what. But folks, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you appreciated me responding to the critics, taking the time to do that on today. But until next time, this is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.